The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Star Trek Prodigy Returns and the episode Yay. titled Kobayashi. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have some of your listener feedback. And I want to encourage you to remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Uh, retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And uh, be sure to leave us comments in both places. We'd love to hear from you. And I want to tell you about another show on the network that I'm sure you'll enjoy called Catholics of Oz, where we have Lindsay, Lino, and Caroline get together our friends from Oz or Australia who get together every fortnight and talk about fun things, including science, uh, things going on in the Catholic Church, movies and TV shows and games and that sort of thing. So double check it out. It's at sqpn.com slash Oz or wherever you find fine podcasts. So, Jimmy, we have... Uh, Prodigy has returned. Kobayashi, it's called. Uh, it's the, uh, in fact, but I, I was going to ask you for a recap, but I want to tell folks first that uh, we had five episodes of start of the first season of Star Trek Prodigy. Then they took a break where we got the fourth season, half of the fourth season of Discovery. And now we've returned for another five episodes of Prodigy. And uh, so, Jimmy, could you give us a recap of this episode, Kobayashi? Last time, Gwen's dad left her to be choked by carnivorous vines, uh, so she threw in her lot with the other kids and hit the turbo booster on the ship, getting them out of there and leaving her dad to eat space dust. This time, they come out of warp and or super warp and find out that they're 4,000 light years away in the Gamma Quadrant. The rest of the kids want to go to the Federation, but Dal won't hear of it. Gwen is depressed because of the way her dad betrayed her and wonders why he would choose the ship over her. We then get a flashback to 17 years ago when the Diviner chose to have her as his genetically engineered mini-me and planned to have her replace him in order to keep their race going, but it still doesn't explain the ship. She and her dad are the last two of their race, and Gwen thinks they've never had contact with the Federation, but... When trying to figure out what the purpose of the protostar is, they discover that chunks of Janeway's memories are classified, and Gwen is unexpectedly able to unlock them using the language of her home planet, Solemn. They learn that the protostar was, as expected, a prototype starship that was the fastest in the Federation, though they still don't know why it was sent to the Delta Quadrant. Meanwhile, Dal has found the protostar's holodeck, and Janeway taunts him into trying the Kobayashi Maru test to teach him more about being a captain. Despite it being an unwinnable scenario, Dal tries it more than a hundred times using holograms of famous officers, including Spock, Scotty, Uhura, Beverly Crusher, and Odo. In extreme frustration, he attempts a highly stochastic solution and almost succeeds 
and Spock then teaches him the value of listening to his crew. He decides to listen to the other kids and go to the Federation, but before he can make this announcement, they see a fragment of a hologram in which Captain Chakotay, the apparent original captain of the Protostar, was in some kind of emergency situation. The end. Mm. <laughs> okay, good summary. So I, I kind of want to go to the, 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 the behind the scenes bit, because Father Corey, you found mm-hmm. an article that interviewed the, the scriptwriter for this episode and talked right. about how they came up with this concept and what they were trying to do with this. And I thought it was very interesting. It revealed a bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he wanted to, um, of course, you know, the, the, he wanted to take the Kobayashi Maru scenario from uh, Star Trek II, right? Wrath of Khan? Yeah, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, where you had the cadet was playing captain and then you had the, the senior crewmen, you know, you had Uhura and Scotty and others playing their roles on the bridge. Uh, and he wanted to take that and move that into this, but he wanted to take, you know, characters from throughout the history of, of Star Trek. So he, um, he had, he got Gates McFadden. She actually voiced herself for this. Yeah. This, this wasn't pre-recorded. and Odo was supposed to be, uh, Rene Avergeon was supposed to do his part. But then he died while the script was being written. Yeah. So that so he then took Odo, uh, you know, of course, audio snippets clips, from, audio yeah. clips from different episodes for Odo and Ahura and, of course, Spock Doc and, and Scotty. Scotty. Yeah. You know, so and that's and that you, you'll notice that if you, you, you listen to it, you can hear that they don't match up. You know, you can tell they're yeah. they've been they've been manipulated, but they, they're not perfect match. But I wonder why they didn't get Nichelle Nichols to do her because she's still alive. She's still alive, but I don't think she's in very good health. And maybe the, she has um, from what I've saw, she, I think she's suffering from dementia. Ah, so, oh, yeah. yeah she's so. in very ill health. But she also only had a couple of lines anyways. But yeah. uh, but he wanted to pull in all these these characters from the past and i, I think in, in my opinion does it very effectively i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's a good way to bring these characters in and you know of course lines you can i'm sure people have already gone through and figure out where where each line came from yeah yeah i was like, okay so, some of them are very recognizable there's the one about you know you remind me of another you know Brash captain, captain of the enterprise <laughs> you know so yeah that's from the reunification part two yep. with uh with uh, Spock with Leonard Nimoy and Patrick Stewart, and uh, and we also have the needs of the many of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and that's mm-hmm. Star Trek Two, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know it was an interesting idea that they did this because the whole idea with well one of the ideas behind Prodigy is to introduce Star Trek as a franchise to a new young generation, and so the presumption is a lot of kids watching this on Nickelodeon may not know anything about Star Trek, and so by doing it this way. You've sort of introduced seeds of all of these other shows. So you've got the original series, you got Deep Space Nine, you got TNG. You know, you, you're introducing all of these other shows, and of course right. Voyager, to this young generation, and kind of giving them the breadth of, you know, what's out there, the possibilities of what else is out there in Star Trek. So it's kind of an interesting idea. And then mm-hmm. there's also a hint, and it goes by very quickly, where Dallas says, "Well, I've already got a captain. Who's this JT Kirk guy?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and just throws it out there real quick. Yep. I, I like how he 
between takes, so we didn't see him give these nicknames, but we saw him using these oh, yeah. nicknames that he's given each of the holodeck characters. And the way he got these, he's 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 he, you know, the, the holodeck says to him, "Pick your crew," mm-hmm. and it shows him thousands of options. And he eventually just says, "Just give me some of your best." And these characters appear. Right. So they're kind of a random selection of the best. And um, he gives them each a nickname. It's the older. Uh, Commander Scott or Captain mm-hmm. Scott that yep. so when James Dewan had a mustache, so he calls him mustache. Yep. Um, he calls Spock pointy ears. He calls Uhura earpiece because she's got the little earpiece she listens through, even though she's at the uh, helm rather than the communications console. And he refers to Odo as jelly man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, and, and then Gates McFadden, or he refers to Dr. Crusher as big red, big red. And, yeah. <laughs> and so I like the nicknames. Now, of course the, fan obsessive question is why is Odo one of these characters when Odo was a Mm -hmm. member of the Bajoran militia and not the Federation and the answer that is in the article that father found is well he's yeah he technically wasn't a member of the Federation but he was on the Defiant a lot and um, and he played a major role in ending the war with the Dominion. And so they've got his records on file like other people who have served alongside Starfleet officers, even if they weren't technically members of Starfleet. Yeah. And, and should also mention that the setting for the this is the Enterprise D bridge. Yes, it's the D bridge. All this is happening on the Enterprise D bridge. Yeah. It's on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the to the beginning of the episode, they they have, as you mentioned to me, they came out of proto warp and they're four thousand light years into the gamma quadrant. So this this ship is faster than anything we've ever seen on Star Trek. It it, it and it's got this protostar engine. Um, you know, if they'd had this back in the uh, in the Voyager series. There would have been no series. Voyager would have got home right away. And so it makes sense that Chakotay would be the captain of this, given he's the, you know, he was the officer, first officer on board a ship that had to travel to the Delta Quadrant. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. Now, it does bring up the question if uh, officially this is supposed to be, according to the writers, this is set five years after Voyager returned home. Mm-hmm. And yet the Protostar has been on the planet for more than 17 years because we know that it's been there longer than that. So this brings up the question, at some point, there's going to be time travel involved. Hmm, possibly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, because that that the dating numbers have been bothering me because it doesn't quite work within the timeline. But yeah, if there's time travel involved, that would be that would answer that. By the way, Dom, you're right that there would have been no Voyager. It may be a Voyager miniseries, but they <laughs> would have got at 4000 light years a jump. They would have crossed the 70,000 light years they needed to do in just 18 jumps. Right. Right. Yeah. And we we. It it seems like that this is a pretty, maybe not instantaneous travel, but this was, you know, they weren't, they weren't traveling at super warp for weeks or right. months. I mean, this was with, you know, a few Moments. minutes they went, you know, yeah. they went 40,000 or 4,000 light years. Yeah. I like that. I like that they gave us a marker that at least sort of kind of means something. It's like, okay, we're now in the gamma quadrant. Right. Mm-hmm. And we know, yeah, we know the gamma quadrant because that's where the other end of the Bajoran wormhole comes out. So we may be seeing some more Deep Space Nine references coming up. Yep. Maybe even the Dominion would be mm-hmm. interesting. Maybe maybe Odo again, because that's where he ended up was on the Founder's Home World. That would be interesting if they brought in another actor to do Odo's voice in that case. Or, you know, same handled it some this way again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So we start with Dal is playing the silly addictive AR augmented reality <laughs> game from the TNG episode, The Game. Yeah, which they even point out how lame that is because Janeway says, Do you, would you rather use the holodeck or continue playing your lame little Conan disc game? And for people who may not remember, this was an early, fairly early, it wasn't first season, but it was a fairly early next gen episode where there was this game where you put on this tiny little fragile virtual reality headset that's really it looks like a couple of straws pointed at your eyes. Yeah. And you see this looks like a chessboard and cones, wobbly cones rise up out of the chessboard. And your goal is to maneuver a disc into being swallowed by one of the cones. And when you do that, it stimulates the pleasure center in your brain. So the game is highly addictive and is actually an invasion, part of an invasion strategy. Right. I'm kind of curious where he found it. Maybe he replicated it, you know, found it in the database and replicated it to to play with. Yeah, I hope that they have um, modified it so that it's no yeah. longer highly addictive. <laughs> well, yes. and it shows up in Lower Decks to a couple of times, actually. Somebody's playing it at one point, oh, and then right. it's, it's in the, the collector's ship next to a busted Picard. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, this might be depressing, Jimmy, but this actually was a fifth season TNG episode. Oh, right. wow. I didn't realize. Yeah. Because it's so lame. <laughs> it is. It is. It really is. And it introduces uh, Ashley Judd as the... Uh, as the Wesley Crusher love interest in that one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so the, there, there's this, there's this conflict in the crew. The crew want to go to the Federation because the Diviners still after them and they see the Federation and Starfleet as safe, safe uh, haven from him. Mm-hmm. But Dal, I'm not sure if I, if I like this aspect of the, of the character, but by the end of the episode, they've, they've kind of had him develop away from it a bit, but he's got this, this inferiority complex that makes him a very much braggadocio, very much um, uh, suspicious of everyone else, a little bit paranoid uh, where, you know, I'm in command and, and uh, the Tellarite character points. I can, I, I gotta remember to write down Jenkin the name. Pog. Jenkin Pog. Thank you. Um, kind of points out like you're sort of the self-appointed captain by the way we've we're, we're tolerating you to be captain but you made yourself captain you know you know you you're you're not the real captain sort of thing but uh so he's he's got this and i'm not sure if i really like that aspect of them the way they made this character it's kind of a trope in kids program yeah. tv programming yeah i i find it a little cliched as well on on the other hand, I I don't have and I and I don't like aspects of the way they write Dal. Um, but um, I think they they lean too much uh, towards this braggadocio. I'm going to do my thing, man. Persona. On the other hand, I can see why he wouldn't want to go to the Federation, and I can see why he wants to be captain because he has just escaped from a prison planet where he had no control at all and wanting to have control of the situation he finds himself in is a human impulse. If you've just been through a traumatizing experience where you lacked control, control is the thing you want most and wanting to be captain makes sense from that perspective. And then also since he's just come out of an unjust prison He's afraid of unjust prisons, and he's stolen a high-tech starship. Right, right. Maybe you don't want to go to the owners of the high-tech starship lest they throw you in an unjust prison as well. 
Yeah, and take away. Hey, I just happened to find this. I just happened to find this in a cave somewhere. Gee, yeah. I don't know where it came from. Huh. <laughs> right, right. And, and as Dom was going to say, take away your control again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we have Gwyn, and I kind of like how Gwyn is developing. She's an interesting character. She's in sick bay, recovering from her injuries from the last episode, um, and she's starting to. She's been rejected by her father. Her father had left her to die, as you mentioned in the recap, Jimmy. And so now she's sort of left without a place in the universe and is kind of reaching out to this crew and especially to Dal. And she you know, thanks him for coming back for her. And Dal says, oh, Jamie wouldn't let us leave without without you, which deflates her. But it kind of turns out. And if you if I didn't remember until they pointed out the end, she, uh, he actually was the one who insisted that they go back for her. That, yes. that that's what it, yeah. what it was. And so he was he was being self-deprecating there by making it sound like Janeway insisted when really it was him. Right. He didn't look want to look in his mind, look weak for for being friendly toward someone who should be his enemy or something along those lines. And of course, I was I think we kind of expected that, that we would start to see the crew coming together more and see her becoming part of the crew mm. uh, when when this in this about this time. So, yeah. So it's all paint by numbers so far. Yeah. So, uh, Jay, as you mentioned, Janeway introduces them to the holodeck, uh, Jenkinpog and Dal. And so they get to go to fair, several different places, uh, including uh, as we see Andoria 4. So it's a uh, snowy place. Um, they well, go, Murph, Murph ends up there and is freezing on this planet and can't figure out how to get out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, they go skydiving on City Alpha 5. That's the Wrath of Khan planet. <laughs> uh, they end up at a Califi gladiatorial tournament on Vulcan. Uh, they go to Dracula's castle and they end up in a Jane Eyre novel uh, as well. So and Jane Eyre was the kind of hologram hollow novel that um, Janeway would run on Voyager. But I love that, you know, we have these outer space settings like Vulcan and Andoria and so forth and study Alpha 5 and then or maybe you'd like to defeat Count Dracula. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and that was fun. I liked that. Yep. Yep. And so so Dom you'll get a kick out of this. The the young man who who was in the the Jane Eyre novel was D Bradley Baker. Oh, awesome. Who also does Murph. Uh he's Murph. the voice of Murph as well. Oh, okay. That's fun. D, D Bradley Baker is also famous for doing a lot of uh Star Wars uh, animated, very, very, very talented voice actor. Yeah. You know, Murph is Murph is probably the simplest role he's played in a long time. Yeah, because all he has to do is go and stuff like that. <laughs> um, Murph, for people who may not remember, is the is slug that is part of the crew. That it, he's the like glowing purple iridescent slug mm -hmm. that is hiding his true level of intelligence for reasons we don't know. Mm. And can apparently eat photon grenades and just burp and fart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's apparently indestructible, which is interesting. Uh, that that should probably come up later. Um, yeah. and, well, and it's, there's not much to it. It's just I mean, they may use it in the future, yeah. but um, but there's not much to it. They need to give all of the characters something to do in the episode. And so the principal action is centering around Dal and Janeway and Gwyn. And so they give Rock Talk, who's the giant rock creature girl, and um, Murph a, their own subplot of um, of Murph is eating unobtainium and photon grenades and and nevertheless survives it after a comedic internal explosion. Um, they also have Zero floating around advising Gwyn as she's trying to figure out what's going on with Janeway's classified memories. 
Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's that nice moment where Zero kind of advises Gwyn about, um, you know, you can belong to the crew. You that you know, you have something to offer. It's a very it's a very much a kids programming sort of message that you know you don't think you have anything to offer, but you definitely have something to offer from whoever you are. Um, and it's like, well, for the computer, I know languages, and the computer can do all kinds of translations. Ah, but can you interpret? Yeah, that's kind of what translation is. <laughs> yeah. It's not, yeah. I mean, she's and, sort of, and, yeah. And it, it comes back later on in this paint by numbers dialogue session where she's got this stream of code for Janeway and she's trying to figure out how to unlock the memories. And Zero, who is the floating Medusa in the orb, um, reminds her that trans, and they say it together. It's like translation isn't just. I forget translation, it's interpretation. And somehow that remind her enables her to unlock the memories, even though, and even though there's no, they don't cash that out on screen in any way. It's yeah. kind of, it's kind of hand waving. Yeah, it is. Then there's, you mentioned that the, the, the uh, flashback to 17 years prior, mm-hmm. prior, we, we have this conversation between the diviner and dreadnought his robot. Uh, servant and they they there's not a lot to that besides what you mentioned except they do mention some concepts Something or, called the order right so making a progeny is forbidden by the order that is what dreadnought says um and they also give his species a name they're the vonnecott uh, so we, we have a name mm-hmm. for them now um and i think so, we already had that but oh, i could okay. be mistaken and, yeah, I think they did mention that early on. So, and Gwyn is a sort of not; she wouldn't be a clone because she's a girl, but yeah, parthenogenesis or something. I, that's why I said uh, genetically engineered mini me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really kind of what it is. So, and so Dendal has the Kobayashi Maru, and he refuses to believe that uh, that he can't win. And well, he, no one has told him he can't win, so yeah. he assumes there is a way mm-hmm. to beat this game. Yes, and and he's persistent if nothing else he is he is not going to give up that's that's a... and and the thing is he really does beat it yeah. i mean now i said it as he employs a highly stochastic solution which i mean he acts crazy he does <laughs> random crazy stuff and and he actually achieves the major objectives the only reason he fails in the in the last time he does it the only reason he fails is because he puts his feet up on a desk and accidentally hits a control. And 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 other than that, which sends a missile to blow up the Enterprise D. Other than that, he's actually beaten the Kobayashi Maru. Mm-hmm. If he had not done that one last mistake, he would have completely won. Well, now I've I've heard this is, you know, fan theory, of course, but that the whole the reason why the Kobayashi Maru is is unwinnable is because it's it's designed to be unwinnable that it keeps yeah. throwing things at you. you you know there is no point where you can save the kobayashi maru oh you so, you killed three klingons well here's five more that just showed up you know right that mm-hmm. kind of deal and maybe the computer put the firing control of the, of the under his foot you know as a way to keep the team from winning or you know i get yeah. that yeah but, yeah uh, but yeah you're right i mean he he certainly he does it gets even as close to winning without cheating like Kirk did <laughs> so, as you as you can. So it is impressive that he, he gets that far. I, oh, one well, yeah. uh, while we're on the Kobayashi Maru scenario. Um, so the, the uh, CGI for the characters, I think varies in quality. Um, I think Uhura looks the best. 
Um, Odo, second best. Um, none of them are perfect because we've seen photorealistic picture. I mean, we've seen photos of these actors before. Uh, so representing them in CGI form is is not going to capture all that. Um, but I, I noticed that Crusher and Spock in particular have the in their CGI design. They've got these really fierce looking eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, because, I mean, I could kind of get with Spock maybe why you would want to make him having fierce looking eyes. But why Dr. Crusher? Yeah. And the only thing I could think of is they, those were the two characters that they put the most at least facial movement to. Yeah. And especially, you know, Spock, of course, he, they move him even more. But in, and I know every time you do, you know, you set up movements on these characters, it does take more processing power, takes more time to set up the movement stuff. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. Maybe, maybe not. Mm. Yeah. I also like when Spock is giving him the talk at the uh, end about captaincy that he he does the live long and prosper and he does the salute and get, <laughs> Dow leaps up and gives him a high five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I, I also enjoyed the fact that he uh, confounded in his stochastic solution, he confounded the Klingons by blasting ACDC's Thunderstruck, thunderstruck. <laughs> at them, which is, uh, yes. I, I like to imagine that being in the databanks of the protostar that he discovers <laughs> and uh okay so yeah so then we have so we we have the resolution of the kobayashi maru situation on the holodeck when zero and gwyn are on the bridge with this whole trying to figure out what's going on with the protostar they ask janeway the protostar's mission and how it ended up buried on this planet and and she has this the my, you know my memory is classified it's not just not erased it's been classified and she does uh, she does say that the that the protostar was sent to the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. And then she has a block from being able to say why. And that the block is encrypted using Gwyn's native language, which is... Which a, indicates it was um, installed after they arrived in the Delta Quadrant. Right, right. Oh, by the way, the uh, the I had previously, from previous scripts, I had interpreted the name Solemn as being the diviner's proper name. Uh-huh. But in this episode, they established that it's the name of the planet that they're from. So right. I'm not sure what's up with that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's some like, like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where the planet and the person are the same or connected or something. Yeah. And then, yeah, then we had the, uh, the ending of the episode with hollow with a, with a recording, not hollow, but a recording of, Chicote in the captain's seat, which is a hollow we, recording. It can be both, yeah. like yeah, you know, yeah. chocolate on peanut butter. <laughs> there you go. And uh, we knew that Robert Beltran was going to be showing up this season, and so uh, so we, here we have him again in in the holographic form. So uh, he, he's here for like four seconds, though. So I assume we're going to be getting more of that recording. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Any other notes on this episode? Anything else that came up for you, uh, Father Corey? Just, just going back to the timeline thing real quick, uh, it said, you know, 17 years ago was Stardate 43929, and that does fit with Voyager, because Voyager's opening Stardate uh, for Caretaker was 48315.6. So for those who do the Stardate geekery, uh, it does fit with the that the Voyager timeline and everything, so... Mm. And, this and there was certainly loads of time travel on Voyager. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, so I, I do, uh, you know, kind of going back to that, but I do think that there's going to be something about this ship traveled far enough back in time, more than 17 years, because, again, uh, uh, the Diviner said that, Ooh, they, that others had looked before him. This that they, they could be have been sent to the Delta Quadrant on a rescue mission to get Voyager. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
which would change their own timeline. But yeah. right. But probably went too far back because, again, if, if you know, it was 17 years before and the diviner said that people have been looking for years before that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Um, OK, uh, Jimmy, any any other notes? Nope. OK, so I did uh, mention that we'd have some feedback. This is from our recent episode 187 of, on the Enterprise episode Fusion. And uh, William Harvey sent an email. He said, I thoroughly enjoyed the show today, especially Jimmy's reference to Andy Griffith's pre-sitcom. What it was was football bit. Jimmy managed to seamlessly weave two of my favorite yet totally different television franchises into a single <laughs> conversation. It put, a great, it put a great big smile on my face and I have an abscessed tooth. So well oh, done. Love ouch. the show. Keep up the good work, fellas. Well, I hope your tooth gets better, but I do love being able to weave two totally different things together like chocolate and peanut butter. Like chocolate and yeah. peanut butter. <laughs> two great tastes come together. All right. Thank you, William. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Laura D, Marissa S, Rick M, Marty T, and Mitch G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of Star Trek Prodigy's episode Kobayashi. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Prodigy. And until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you and live long and prosper. It was a high five. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Mm